Blog Talk Radio. everyone. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. It is Sunday, July 10th, 2016, 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. We have a packed house here on GTP Keeper Radio tonight. But before we begin, I'd like to thank our sponsor, who is Aru Fan. Aru Fan is dedicated to the Aru-type green tree python in captivity, its proper husbandry, and related news. Morelia viridis aru, it's always due. Please visit them at their website at www.arucondrofan.com or on Facebook at arucondrofan. Bill, are you there? Hey, buddy, how are you? I am well, my friend, and yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, we spoke uh, briefly before the show started, and um, you know, I wanted to just get it out there uh, kind of early you know, that obviously it's been a rough week for our, our country and especially for the city of Dallas, where I live. Uh, you know, we're mourning the senseless murder of five Dallas police officers here that happened a few days ago. And so, you know, it's it's uh, obviously it's been hard on all the events that have happened, but uh, it's been particularly heartfelt uh, here in my home city. Well, you know, as a... Uh a former first responder myself, my uh, heart bleeds anytime we lose a police officer or a firefighter or an EMT. Um, this is, uh, you know, very tragic. doesn't even begin to explain what it means to me to have lost these uh, these police officers in the manner which way they were taken. Um, my heart and my prayers uh, go out to the families of, of those officers and to the Dallas Police Department and to the Dallas community and to our country. Hopefully we can uh, move forward and heal. Yeah, that's the only, uh, you know, you hope that something good comes out of a situation like that. And, um, you know, maybe just take the opportunity to reflect on how much we value the men and women who are, they're out there protecting our way of life every day. And if they weren't out there, you know, there would be anarchy. And so, you know, maybe just like, you said, like I said, just take this opportunity to reflect on really how good we have it and, you know, just take the opportunity to look around you and be thankful for the things that you have. A large part of that is due to the women that 
offer up their lives and service, uh, you know, protecting us. So I agree with you about, um, you know, sending our prayers along uh, to their family. Good deal. Yep. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for sure. Well, let's move on. And, um, you know, obviously stuff like the show and, and our passion, all of our passion for keeping reptiles, it it's a distraction for us. You know, we can bury our head in the sand for a couple of hours and, and talk about uh, more upbeat things. And so let's get along and let's let's start doing that. Let's do it. Hey, before um, before we do start, though, I want to congratulate you. Let the uh, listeners know that you will be starting a new job tomorrow. You have finished. You've graduated. Uh, so I just wanted to say congratulations on your degree, and uh, maybe you'll tell the listeners briefly what you're going to be uh, starting on tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow I start my new career as a nurse, and I will be working in an emergency department in one of the hospitals in uh, Tomorrow City. Fantastic. Uh, congratulations. And, uh, Thank you very obviously much. Obviously, I know you'll, you'll, you'll do great, and you'll serve, uh, you'll serve that hospital, and you'll serve the community well. I have no doubt of that. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. So what are we going to talk about? We, um, I mean, what are, I guess you can give a rundown of who we're going to introduce here uh, in a few minutes, and then you and I can talk for a minute about what we've got going on in our rooms. Absolutely. So, um, you know, Bill and I kind of, uh, we kind of scour the uh, Condro posts on both uh, the forum boards and on Facebook to kind of figure out what we're going to talk about before the show. Um, the idea for the show actually came from uh, – some posts we had noticed on the MVF and on some of the Facebook pages uh, regarding uh, incubators that people use for condors. I thought it would be a great topic to talk about. Um, so that's really what's kind of been going on on, on those sites. Um, what about you, Bill? Uh, yeah, you know, incubators, husbandry, um, and the guests that we have on tonight, uh, between the three of them, I mean, there are many, many, many years and seasons of successful uh, chondro uh, keeping and reproduction and and certainly husbandry and incubators and the equipment um, are, are a big part of that. So I'm looking forward to hearing what these guys have to say. Absolutely. So we uh, rounded up a few uh, guests. Uh, we have Vita... Notch, I believe. I hopefully I pronounced that correctly. And Vita can say it for me again. Uh, we have uh, and Vita's done some really great pairings. He's done some locality stuff. He's done some really nice designer stuff and locality designer mixes. So it's going to be great to talk to him, uh, see what he how he does his condro eggs, and talk a little bit about his collection. And then we have the one and only Mr. Marshall Mendez. Um, if you enjoyed that music. Uh, that we played at the beginning of the show. That's Marshall. He did that for us, and we are ever grateful to him for, for letting us use that on our show. It's a truly cool thing to have uh, our intro being done by a fellow Condro head. Uh, Marshall yep. uh, is known for Condrolicious. Uh, if you go search Condrolicious.com or on Facebook, that's where Marshall is. And Marshall has been working with Condros for a very long time. He's been very patient, and he's starting to see some long-term goals 
pan out for him, and hopefully he's going to share some updates with the Albino Condor Project with us later. And we have uh, Mr. David Browns. David has been with us in the past. Um, he is one of these guys who can take an idea or a product that we all kind of use that's handmade, and he seems to be able to uh, come up with a way to make it available to everyone. So he's got a couple of new great ideas that he's been working on with his uh, 3D printer that hopefully he's going to share with us and talk about tonight. But for the bulk of the show, we're going to talk about uh, incubators and condor legs and uh, that type of stuff, Bill. Fantastic. I can't wait. Um, before we bring them on, why don't you uh, give us a brief summary about what's going what's going on at your place right now? You, you've got some babies on board? Um, I, well, you know, I had a clutch hatch out uh, in the spring, and they're just, you know, they're kind of on autopilot right now. It's kind of the everyone's eating and pooping and shedding and drinking water, that type of thing. So it's kind of a maintenance phase right now, starting to think about, you know, future parents for the fall. I guess the most exciting thing to me is that um, I have two clutches of rhino rat snake eggs incubating. So that's, uh, <laughs> yes. First time when, ever when you say I've read colubrids. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say they're incubating, basically they're just sitting on the shelf, right? <laughs> um, I, you know, I couldn't do that. I don't know why, but I <laughs> I set up a second thermostat so I would not touch my condor thermostat, and I unplug the heating element, and I, I use the second thermostat with a different heating element to run my incubator at uh, rhino rat snake approved incubation temps. So that's what's going Which on. Which is what? Sorry. Which is what? Uh, I have, what temperature? I have them. Uh, I haven't set it. Okay, I'm, you know, we've got to geek out on this. I've got them set at 77.3, so they're actually at 77 <laughs> exactly in the egg boxes. And your room temperature is probably 75, so, you know, you're doing yourself uh, a great that, service. By... <laughs> 72, Bill, 72. Okay, all right. I couldn't What's help bust your balls a little you? bit. I, I... <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Nothing, kind of like you. Um, I just had a small clutch of four uh, babies that are uh, kind of on autopilot. I've still got one that's being uh, a little stubborn, but uh, you know they're doing well. And um, I'm just having fun watching a few of the uh, Jager holdbacks from last year uh, changing, uh, changing their their color. I've got a couple that really look cool. So that's really about it. A you lot of ball post python. A pick of that. A lot of a lot of royal pythons, you said. A lot of royal pythons, yes. High end royal. Okay, pythons. yes. High end royal pythons. Okay. <laughs> so Eric Burke is like you know just salivating and knocking on your door, waiting for these things to to hatch out. Then. Yeah, he's my only customer. No, that's not true. <laughs> you only need one. <laughs> And I know you know Marshall. Uh, he's he's a. We'll get to talk to him later. But he's also a royal python connoisseur. Yeah, I want to see. Uh, I don't want the cat out of the bag, but you know, I think if I remember correctly, yeah. Marshall does more than one species in his incubator. So that's going to be cool to talk about. I think that's uh, yeah. People who so do condors might be passing out. Oh no! Now I'm in a oh, yeah. There's two of you that do this. Okay. All right. I've had I've Perfect. had carpet ball I've had carpet ball and chondro eggs all in the incubator at the same time same incubator. Okay. 
Perfect. So that's it. That's okay. uh, that's what's going on here. So what do you think? Should we bring these guys on? Yeah, let's um we discussed a little bit before the show. We're gonna do kind of a round table um format. We've done this before on the show. Um, we have three guests and basically we're going to expose them all to the same, basically the same questions, uh, but we're going to go on a, a set sequence so people aren't talking over each other uh, as much. And so I'm going to introduce uh, Vita first. And once we bring him on, buddy, uh, we'll ask him maybe just to uh, tell the audience uh, a brief overview ab- about himself, about, uh, you know, what he does um personally and professionally, uh, and then we'll do the same uh, with Marshall and the same uh, with David. So why don't you go ahead and uh, bring Vita on. Vita, welcome. Hi, guys. How are you, my friend? Hello. How are you? Hello. So, Vita, why don't why don't you? I know you've been listening, uh, listening to the introduction. So why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about your uh, life outside of Condros? What do you do when you're not uh, feeding babies? Uh, about me. Okay. Yes. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm a professional. Uh, professional violinist, musician. Uh, I graduated in. Uh, uh, music performance in uh, Prague. Then I began my concert career that brought me to many countries, most most of European countries, Japan, South Asia, of course, Brazil, Canada, and US. And that's it. How long have you how long have you lived in the United States, Vita? I moved here in two when I came here, I began as a music professor at the Grand Valley State University. Then, uh, then I uh, won some professional symphonies auditions. So then I quit teaching, and now I just continue playing uh, solo, small groups, and uh, symphonies. In what city do you live in, Vita? I am in Michigan, in Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Okay. Well, fantastic. We uh, obviously look forward to hearing a lot more about you and about your animals. So thank you uh, again for being with us. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Let's, uh, have, uh, let's have Mr. Mendez uh, come on. Uh, Marshall, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's good to hear your voice again. We've talked many times on the phone, and um, I keep uh, nudging Buddy to organize another iCast, so I'll have an excuse to uh, come up, come back up and see you in person. Yeah, that's good. We don't have to wait for that, though. You can come over whenever. All right. Maybe I All need, right, to, I'll take maybe you I on need that. to come there. Atlanta and Dallas are not too far apart. No, they're not. Well, why don't you uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, so let's see. So I live in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, married, have two kids. Um, 
my day job is in the construction industry. I'm in uh, senior management at a construction company here in, uh, in Birmingham. And um, as far as uh, other hobbies besides chondros or reptiles, uh, I like to play music, uh, play a little guitar, try to at least. And, um, you know, that's about it. Stay pretty busy with uh, with all that, and especially this time of year with uh, babies hatching and trying to get everything feeding and so on and so forth. Yeah, I said Atlanta. Obviously, I meant Alabama. I'm getting my my uh a's confused but alabama yeah. is close to close enough uh well i don't know how much of a chance we're going to get to talk about royal pythons um tonight but i hopefully we'll yeah, have we a, a minute or two and we can have a minute or two and you can um you can talk about uh at least one of your projects because i know you've got some interesting stuff stuff hatching yeah. there so thank might you might get us food off food off the air but <laughs> but he might i mean i don't know no, no. We'll, we'll listen. If he gets to talk about his line of rat snakes, and then we can talk about the royal. <laughs> well, well, thank you again, Marshall, for uh, for being on. Yeah, no problem. Pleasure to be here. Uh, and uh, I guess last but not least is David Brahms. David, how are you doing? Good, guys. How are you? Again, uh, the studio audience is obviously looking forward to the show. Um, you've got a little, you've got a little care package that you've sent to me, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you've received it yet, but it's it should be on its way. No, I haven't gotten it yet, but I can't wait. Um, you'll obviously get a chance to talk about uh, some of the stuff that you're working on, and, and you sent me a few things and. You know, I was one of your um, biggest fans with the do-it-yourself cage kits when uh, you guys were producing those. And uh, you've, you've, like I think Buddy may have said, or uh, we talked earlier, you've been on the show before when you, when you were producing those. And so those things, I still have several of them. They're fantastic. They work great. There's actually a local guy here that's kind of knocked off your design and is uh, producing them. I don't know how many he's he's selling, but... Uh, he certainly saw the uh, the value and the ingenuity in those things. So, why don't you take a minute and uh, tell the audience a little bit a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, again, thanks a lot for having me on the show. I, I appreciate being on again. Um, definitely a fan. I, I listen to these whenever you guys uh, put one out. So it's it's uh, it's pretty cool to actually be on here uh, and speaking with you guys and, and also joining Vita and Marshall as well. Um, just to give some background on, on myself, I, I live in Maine, uh, all the way up in the Northeast, and uh, I've been keeping chondros. I'm definitely the freshman in this group. I've, I've had them uh, for roughly four years now. I've been buying neonates and raising them up, and it looks like I'm heading into my first potential breeding season uh, this upcoming year. And um, it, for uh, you know my, my daytime profession, I'm a product development engineer uh, for a company that specializes in a lot of different things, but I, I work primarily on soft body armor uh, as well as uh, wow. fire retardant materials using the aerospace industry. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I play around with, with chondros and, and nerd out with that kind of stuff on the side. Um, and uh, I, I'm married with two kids as well. And, and uh, yeah, that's about it. 
fantastic. Your um, your occupation obviously uh, is not surprising to me, seeing with uh, some of the stuff and the ideas that you come up with. So that that's great. It's it's great to have you on and uh, congratulations and um, I wish you luck on your on your first uh, season breeding chondros. It's it, it's going to be a blast. You're going to love it and and uh, you know that's why we're doing the show for people like yeah, you and me. Awesome. I'm not. I'm not far behind, you know, in uh, behind you, in front of you, uh, in experience and and that kind of stuff. And the guys on the show tonight are, you know, some of the reasons that I've had as much fun and have had a little bit of success. So, thanks for participating. Yeah, thank you. Let's continue our um, our roundtable format. And uh, buddy, obviously, if you have anything that you'd uh, like to ask these guys as we're moving. Um, just let us know, uh, but we're going to kind of uh, follow the format that we talked about. Uh, and so maybe we'll ask Vita to uh, explain a little bit about uh, an overview of his collection, uh, what he's currently keeping and working with. Okay. Uh, uh, now I, my, my collection is uh, about 30, 30 chondros. I keep, I keep exclusively chondros, nothing else. Now okay. and about half of them are babies, so and 15, 15 uh, older older animals. Uh, now I'm I'm uh, I got I got two clutches this spring. Uh, one was from uh, Bardorea. It was a joint pairing with Sean Beck. It was a repeat pairing. The first one was a very nice result, so so I'm very happy. The second one will look even better. And then I got a I got a clutch from uh, from Cambridge's uh, uh, Lamontry uh, Bayak crossed to Meroki, so it's, it should be hopefully some a nice high off from there. So that's that's uh, that uh, that is. I got uh, I got uh, from Schoenbeck, I got a nice uh, blue line now from his pairing. I own a uh, tiger stripe by back from Randall person. I have a, a um, female from uh, from uh, uh, New Blue Jaya, uh, produced by Buddy. Nice. I also also Kariko uh, Kariko uh, Jaya from also also from Buddy. So it's 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 Mandango uh, Kelme. Pairing. He did with uh, Mark Spottero a while ago in 2009. Right. Uh, then I have uh, some uh, uh, and most most of the animals are the animals is I I produce myself. So my holdbacks from previous. How many hold? How many holdbacks did you um, keep from last year's pairings, Vita? Last year I had uh, I have three. I have three. It was uh, it was seven babies, and I I hold I, I hold about three three of them. So so they are now changing and looks pretty nice. So yeah, I'm you very posted. I'm very excited. Yeah, you posted some beautiful uh, pictures. You've got a lot of melanistic in in blue, and and some of the animals that you've produced. Yeah, so I love them. So and hopefully hopefully uh, so this is just first step because I I want to some of the most. More, more and more holdbacks, and hopefully in future to cross them together, like half the sparing. So it will be so it will be fun. Yeah, 
is what they just this is just sparked. You mentioned that you keep exclusively Condros, uh, Vita. Why you? What do you find so appealing about Condros that you've decided to exclusively work with with that species? Well, it's a it's a long story. Well, it's it's about my first wife who was uh, who was working in uh, Prague Zoo, and then huh. uh, I, I was student and. Uh, when I have time, I volunteer there, so I met, I met many people there. And uh, Prague Zoo had a very nice prepare program. So then, I, I, and uh, they already owned some uh, some chondros. They were originally from from Trooper Welsh, I believe. Uh, it was it was it was it was really good because they were one of four, one of first the European zoos who bred them successfully. Oh. And uh, I was I, I I volunteered there, so I had a chance to see. It was mid eighties at that time, so it was impossible to get them. But uh, right. I I started I started I started keeping uh, snakes. Uh, first it was culbrids and breed them. So it was a good start and learning spreading. My first condor was uh, 98, 99, or something like that. So that was much, much later. Yes. And since yes. then, I since then I started started to build my collection. So when when I moved to to the U.S. in 2006, it was seven I have seven animals I brought from from Prague to the U.S. with me. Oh wow! So that's that quite a move. That, that that was the start. Well, well, very good. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, Marshall, uh, again, I'll ask you, uh, although I know a, a lot of your, uh, your history and longevity of chondros, but why don't, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how you got into keeping chondros. And you don't exclusively keep chondros, but why don't you tell us a little bit of what else you're working with? Sure. Uh, well, like everybody, uh, or I say everybody, like a lot of us, uh, it's been a Snakes and reptiles in general have been a uh, obsession of mine since I was a, a, a young, you know, young kid. I think I got my first snake when I was uh, maybe six or seven years old, and I've pretty much had them uh, continuously my whole life. Um, started working with chondros and got my first one in '98, I believe. Um, that was right after I had finished school and got a job, and you know couple of paychecks and that's the first thing I bought. Um <laughs> so what what would you get? Uh it was a sarong. Sarong, you know, captive bred sarong type uh oh. ended up being female. So she uh ended up going on to produce, I don't know, four or five clutches for me and I probably nice. still have uh you know, some of her descendants in the collection. But um okay. So yeah, so I've I've produced uh, this is my 15th year uh producing chondros. Uh first clutch wow. was in um 2001, I believe, and I've produced uh produced a clutch for at least a clutch for 14 years consecutively and then and then uh uh struck out in 2015, didn't produce any. <laughs> and uh yeah, I, I don't know what what happened there, but uh 
they've been produced a couple nice clutches this year. And um, as far as the rest of the collection, it's uh, fairly varied. Um, I, I do work with emerald tree boas as well. Um, a lot of uh, royal pythons, um, as well <laughs> as a couple of uh, Ogenine colubrids. I've got some Mexican black king snakes and some uh, California garter snakes, which are really uh, uh, beautiful snakes. Um, the blue on them rivals the, the blue that you see in chondros. Uh, really? They're just, uh, re- yeah, they're, they're really, really uh Blue, bright red, um, cool, cool snakes. They like to musk on you and and uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, as far as just looking at them, they're great. Now I remember you produced one year. You produced some emeralds, right? Yes, yeah, I produced uh, uh, produced two litters or three litters in in two thousand and. 13, and then, um, or maybe it was 14, I can't remember, uh, but then I've also got, uh, this year, I'm expecting, I've got one gravid female this year, she's due to, to drop sometime around, uh, the end of August, so. Okay. Pretty Fan- excited about fantastic. that. Very nice. And, and of course, um, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, the, um, as far as chondros go, the, you know, the, this, if every cage was full, uh, can house about 25 adult animals, obviously that, you know, varies as, uh, older animals pass away or, you know, I, I sell or, or whatever. Um, but over the last, uh, I don't know, I guess it was about six or seven years ago, I kind of made the decision to really hone in on a couple of things, and uh, that's basically my albino project and um, calico. So those are kind of the two lines, or or if you want to call them that, that uh, pretty much all the collection centers around. So I do have uh, have brought in some new new bloodlines over the, uh, you know, recently, um, Tiger Stripe being the main one, and the goal there is just to cross it with the other two. Um, gotcha. So the Albino project is uh, doing doing pretty well, uh, kind of plugging along. You know, it's been a, a slow, uh, slow-going thing. Um, so uh, just to give a little history on it, I, I started the project in – 2002, which was essentially when uh, when Damon Salsies had uh, randomly produced the, the first albino in the U.S. And um, fortuitously, I had purchased a neonate from Trooper Walsh that uh, where the, the 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 sire of of that animal was a uh, sibling to Damon's animals that produced the albino. So as soon as that happened, I knew that Trooper's animal was a possible het, in which case mine was a possible het. So uh, I kind of started the project there. Um, Several years later, Trooper produced an albino from his mail, which, you know, told me that mine was a 50% het. And then in 2013, um, I produced my first uh, albinos. Uh, was one clutch, 
There was three of them. I'm sorry, you get three three total in the clutch, and I ended up with one red albino, one yellow baby albino. Uh, unfortunately, neither of them, uh, they were just terrible feeders, and neither of them made it. So that was kind of a, uh, exciting to, to hatch them, but then a pretty big letdown. Um, sure. Then the follow, following year, um, I, I hatched a second albino, which is the one that uh, I have now. Um, it's a female. Right. I'm sorry, it's a third albino. It's, it's, she's a female, um, and she's just doing doing great. Monster feeder, great size for her age. So, um, hope you know, hope hoping in another two or three years, uh, I'll be able to breed her back to Versace and get some uh, make some definite heads and hopefully a good number of albinos. Um, this year. Fred Versace back to uh, her, uh, the mom of the al- current albino that I have did produce another one. Unfortunately, it was uh, prema- yeah, I say premature. It, it had, uh, its umbilical cord got tied in a knot, and uh, it was the last one to come out of the egg. And uh, really, I had to had to tie off the umbilicus and cut it. Um, and it you know came out at five grams. Lived for wow. about a week or two, and then and then died. So uh, I remember been, that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, project has had a lot of ups and downs, but the good news is, is I've held a lot of stuff back, and I've got a ton of uh, possible heads that uh, are coming up. So, you know, what, the, Marshall, the where did you acquire the female? Where did you acquire the female? The female. The female. Is, which. Mm-hmm. Which female? The, 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 the female that produced your first clutch of, of albinos. Well, she was a holdback. Um, so, like oh, okay. I said, the project, the project started in 2002. So as soon as uh, Versace, which is my male that I got from Trooper, uh, right. I basically have, he- have held back um, okay. every every red neonate that he's ever produced. Uh Okay. With, a gotcha, few gotcha. Ex- with a few exceptions, yeah, and then so we yeah. raised those up. Um, okay. And that 2013 animal was the was the uh, the dam was one of the pullbacks. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for uh, getting us getting us up to date on that. That it's it's very exciting. Um, very. Obviously. Yep. Thanks, Marshall. Yeah. Sure. Mr. Brahms. Hey guys, hey! Uh, I just want to say, you know, I, I love uh, listening to updates on that albino project. I, I think everybody, <laughs> uh, whenever Marshall puts a post up, uh, it's it, with a lot of anticipation. People love seeing the updates on those things. It's uh, an incredible project, and he's put a lot of time into that. And and I think everybody realizes it. So it's just really cool. Just want to throw that out there. Thanks, man. Agreed. I appreciate it. Agreed. I yeah. think. Um, I think one of the things that's amazing to me is that the amount of time and that Marshall's put into this, the patience that he has had, the heartbreak that he's endured, and he's still, just listening to him, he still seems just excited about it as anyone else would be, which is amazing. And, you know, I know I speak for a lot of condor keepers. We're very happy that, Marshall is stuck with it, and he's pressing forward. I think it's it's going to be, you know, amazing. You know, once these things are, you know, if you, uh, you know, 
just seeing the one that's uh, around now, just looking at it, but I think the future for designer stuff with the albino blood infused is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you, it's, a, you, you can't even begin to express how many different possibilities and what the potential can be, but it's, it's amazing. Kudos to Marshall. I agree, David, that, uh, you know, it takes a lot of patience and persistence and being able to shrug things off and stick to your goal. So I agree. That's awesome. Well, David, go yes, ahead and tell uh, us a little bit about yeah, about, a little bit about your uh, collection and um, why you've decided to to keep chondros, and if are you keeping other species as well? Yeah, um, I you know like the other guys, I've been keeping uh, stuff since I was a little kid, um, and I've had just about everything it seems uh, over the years. Um, you know, I, I've bred you know chameleons and things like that in the past. And, uh, but I've always had a, a special place in my heart for snakes and, and, uh, um, you know, I currently, I, I have a, a rather small and nimble collection compared to a lot of people. Um, uh, I do have some other species that I keep mainly, uh, some Eriangia, uh, carpet pythons, and, yeah, uh, awesome. I've got a, a breeding pair of Okiti corns too, that I, uh, like to keep around. Um, and, uh, so yeah, about. Uh, about four years ago is when I really decided to get into chondros. I, I, I uh, have always wanted them. I, I think they're kind of like the pinnacle in, in some ways of, of snakes. They, I think they're just elegant and beautiful. And, uh, and they're also challenging, which makes it uh, kind of fun to try and keep them. It, it doesn't get boring. And right, uh, right. so I, I put together a, a small room uh, dedicated uh, in my basement to, to keep these guys. Uh, you know, I keep them all climate controlled the same. And, and I've been acquiring uh, babies uh, since then uh, to, to raise them up. And uh, I think I have about uh, eight individuals right now. And, and of those, three of them are, are at breeding age uh, this year. And, um, the one phenotype or locality that uh, really kind of caught my eye early on was the Manaquari animals. And uh, right. so I've really been trying to, to focus uh, what I've been collecting uh, on that phenotype. And, and um, that's currently where I'm at. Uh, I'm pretty excited about what's going to come up. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next stages of keeping these guys. What are the, uh, what's, what's your possible pairing coming up for this year? Yeah, I have a uh, an animal that I originally acquired from Gary Scavino. Uh, it's a Prada Manaquari Cyclops cross um, okay. that uh, would potentially go with a Sarong Jaya cross female. Uh, they're both of age, and and I'm going to see uh, you know what they what they might be willing to do this year. Awesome. So um, yeah, the, the the talk of incubators and stuff like that will. It'll fit in nice uh, into the timing. I look forward to hearing what you're planning on uh, incubating any potential eggs with. Yeah, definitely. It's a good timing for sure. You know, maybe uh, now be a, a good time. I know we had kind of on our outline, um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the new stuff that you've come up with. Um, you've posted some of it on Facebook and some of it uh, on the on the MVF. And... Um, like I said, I'm going to get a chance to experience uh, those uh, this week. I'm putting a, uh, a a cage, a tub together for um, for my vet who has one of my chondros. It was in a 
hatchling type uh, enclosure. It needs to be moved up to a sub-adult deal. So I'm going to be using, uh, I guess, experimenting with some of your stuff uh, on his cage, not mine, of course. <laughs> yeah, cool. This <laughs> <laughs> stuff. So why don't you um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've what you've done in your lab? Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned before, um, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, I, I started playing around with creating the, uh, the frames that you would slap onto a, a tub to convert them into a more of a display type cage. And uh, right. I, I still really love that product. I, I think it's a great idea, um, but it, it was rather labor intensive and, you know, full-time job and a family with kids um, yep. you know, it didn't seem like that was going to be something that I could really devote uh, a lot of time to. Um, and since then, I, uh, you know, I still tinker with stuff on the side and, and, um, during my, uh, um, you know, time trying to, uh, come up with solutions for things to use myself. Uh, I acquired a 3d printer, uh, during that time frame and, and learn the software on, on how to design, um, you know, uh, uh, products and it's, it's an amazing technology. You can come up with an idea and, uh, within a few hours, you can mock something up in, in the software. And, uh, shortly after that, you can, you can actually have a physical object in your hand. So it's, it's, uh, I'm still blown away by it every time I, I use it. Um, yeah. and, uh, so, you know, what I, what I've done is, uh, you know, I, I, uh, make all of my own cages still for myself and uh, the perches were one of the items where I, I was always, you know, trying to figure out what would work best, but also be uh, aesthetically appealing uh, with the finished product. And um, so, you know, just to backtrack just a little bit on the 3D printing, just to, so people understand what it is um, in case they haven't been exposed to it too much. Um, you know, another uh, term that's used for it uh, would be fused uh, deposition modeling or a fused filament fabrication. It goes by a couple different names, and and basically what you're doing is is just like you do in a regular printer, where it would put down a layer of ink on a piece of paper. Instead of ink, you're using uh, all different types of plastics are available to do it, and it'll put down a single layer, and then it'll continue putting layers down one on top of the other, fusing them together until you actually build up. Uh, a, a completed product. Um, so what I've done is uh, I've come up with uh, several different items that I've been using myself and, and decided to put them out there and see if other people would be interested in them. One of them being holders for uh, perches. Um, they are constructed out of a plastic called PLA. Um, and the reason why I use it is it, it's one of the easier plastics to deal with. Um, there's not as much of a, a learning curve when it comes to printing with this material. And the other added benefit is that it's a, uh, it's a non-toxic, uh, plastic. It's, it's actually a bioplastic that doesn't come from the petroleum industry. It's actually, uh, derived from corn starch and tapioca starch and sugar cane, that sort of stuff. Um, oh, and it's used in, yeah, it's used in, uh, implants as well, uh, you know, in the medical industry, um, it will, um, you know, under the right conditions, it, it can actually biodegrade where a lot of other plastics cannot. And um, so it, it's a really safe material to use and, and it works well uh, in this application. 
And uh, so anyway, what I did was I I created some holders for uh, PVC pipe to use as as perch holders because it seems like that's one of the, you know, the standard items that people use as perches and chondro cages. And, um, but I never really liked the idea of, of scorching the PVC. I, I, you know, I don't really like the looks of it so much. And, uh, so what I found was that I can create these perch holders, uh, in just about any color uh, that you want. They make the plastics in, in just about any color of the rainbow. And there's a, there's another company, uh, that anybody can access online. It's called bulk reef supply. It's a, a an aquarium supply company that actually sells colored uh, PVC pipe. So you can get it in brown or green, blue, purple, whatever you want to get. And uh, with the holders that I'm making, you can actually color match them so that everything looks good and uniform and and gives you more options instead of just using a a white uh, PVC. Yeah, um, that's what what I did. I went onto that website and I ordered uh, the PVC. I think it was nine bucks and free shipping. Uh, for plenty yeah. to make, you know, make several purchases. So did you get pink yeah, or purple? <laughs> Rainbow, man. Rainbow. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, so, David. Uh, you know, in the other, the other, uh, uh, you know, part that I built into these perch holders, it has a, um, I guess you would call it a key that's built into uh, one end where all you have to do is put a slot in the PVC pipe and, and that slot um, will slide onto that key and it prevents the purchase from rotating around. Um, so, you know, it, it gives you a, a nice stable um, uh, holder uh, and perch for the animal to sit on without worrying about them, you know, sliding and falling off. Um, and, and they seem to work quite well. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with them. What have you found uh, to be better? I know you offer them. You can get the notching in one side or both sides of the perch holder. What have you found works works the best, or does it depend on the size of the perch? Yeah, I, I think one end is is probably sufficient. That's what I'm using on my own uh, containers. But I gave people the option uh, if you know they wanted to, just for the the added stability. Uh, but it seems to hold quite well with just one. Um, mm. It, it's really, you know, it, it's a personal preference, I think, with people. Um, you know, I, I don't think you're going to, uh, you know, have any issues with using just one versus two. Okay. Fantastic. Great idea. And what it is, yeah. Look forward to, to messing around with it. Yeah, cool. And what else? Do you... Um, you came up with, with something else as well recently. Yeah, actually, there's quite, there's quite a few things that I've been working on on the side um, and, and testing them out and, and seeing if, if this is something that other folks would want. Uh, one item that I just uh, put out there this past week is a uh, it's another uh, perch um, uh, system, I guess you would call it, for neonates. Uh, in, for anybody that uses the Sterilite, six quart shoebox uh, bin to house their neonates in um, you know in the past I've always used the the clothes hangers uh, cut up right. and held together with a zip tie and I, I always would get frustrated when I went to go clean or, or do anything uh, in the enclosure because I, I didn't you know 
if I didn't have a clean uh, container available to pick the perch up and put it in, I would have to like wedge it between a couple other containers, just kind of hold it with the animal sitting on the perch. So I, I came up with one um, that uh, looks very similar to the clothes hangers. It's, it's about the same diameter, if not a little bit smaller. Uh, but it's a freestanding unit that fits exactly in that Sterilite shoebox. Um, so you could, you know, if you have to do anything there in there, like, you know, change the water or, or do a cleaning, you can lift the whole thing out and just set it on a table and, you know, the animal's not going to get disturbed at all. Um, and uh, it just, you know, makes it easier. And uh, I also think it just looks a little better instead of having dirty zip ties. I, I always got frustrated by that. They seem to, you know, hold bits of dirt and crud after a while uh, from, you know, the animals doing what they do. And uh, right. with this being just a solid piece, I, you know, you don't have to worry about that so much anymore. You can, you can easily clean the whole thing off and, and um, you know, it works quite well. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, I'm, I'm working on some other items. Um, you know, I, I still like the idea of converting storage bins into an enclosure. I think it's a, it's a really inexpensive but good option for people. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a plastic enclosure. So, you know, they, they hold heat well. And, and uh, if you, you know, if something happens, you break it or whatever, you can just go to the store and pick another one up really cheaply. Um, so I, lately I've focused my attention on the, uh, the Cambro tubs, the, the clear polycarbonate tubs to see what I could potentially do with that. Cause um, they're, they're a much better looking, um, container i think and um so they they come with this clear lid as well that could actually act as a as a door and so i've designed some um specialty hinges that will actually hook onto the tub and onto the the plastic lid uh to convert the whole thing into an actual uh door you know completed cage with a door and so you wouldn't have to go out and buy glass or anything like that you just buy your Cambro tub with the lid and then you attach these hinges to it. Um, and of course you could use the perch holders and I've got some adjustable vents and things like that, that I've been working on as well that could all be used in something like this. So David, you'd lay the Cambro tub on its side and use the lid as a swing outdoor. Is that right? Yeah, you could, or. it's exactly what you would do. You could have it vertically oriented or, or lay it horizontally. Um, and, okay. and you would, that's exactly what you do. You would use the lid as the door. That sounds really, really cool. I use those Cambro, uh, tubs as well, uh, in a, adult and sub-adult, uh, chondro racks. I love those. I love the tubs. So I look forward to seeing, seeing that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's still it's a work in progress. There's a few more moving parts to that sort of thing, and and uh, I'm in the process of tweaking it out. But I expect to have you know something to show within the next couple of weeks for sure. Great. I think Buddy had a question for you. Yeah, absolutely, uh, David. So um, if I'm interested in these perches, if I'm interested in uh, the perch holders or uh, the perches for the six quart tubs, where do, where do I go to? Uh, to find them, do you have pictures of them up for folks? Um, how can I get a hold of you? Yeah, there's a couple different ways. Um, I don't have a, a website dedicated to these things as of yet, but um, uh, I'm readily available on the MVF forum. Um, I, I've got a couple posts on there uh, showing uh, you know these items, 
So you could you could send me a message on there if you need to reach me. I'm also um, on Facebook in in most of the uh, the Condro uh, groups that have been formed on there. Um, you can send me a private message directly, or, or even send me a message in the group. It, it wouldn't matter. Um, and then I also created a, a dedicated Facebook page. Uh, it's called S3D or uh, Specialty Enclosure Designs that. Uh, I'm using to kind of show some of the things that I've made, and and you can certainly uh, like that page and um, get a hold of me through there as well. And if you know you want to buy them, it's it's easy. Uh, you know, just tell me what you want, and and uh, I can get a, a quote with you with shipping, and and we just do a quick transaction through PayPal, and, and it's as easy as that. Dave, would you repeat the? Uh... Would you repeat the Facebook page? Because I'm looking for right now. Did you say S-E-D? S-3-D, the number three. S-3-D. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, David. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think those ideas are fantastic. It's always amazing. We try to figure out these, you know, I don't know what it is about people keep snakes, but we try to – you know, nothing's ever seems to be perfect for whatever species we're keeping. And for us, it's chondros. And I know perch holders are one of those things that people always want to know, like, well, how do you, you know, how do you do this? And how do you attach perches? And how do you keep from spinning them? It's a great idea. And uh, those uh, removable perches for the six-quart tubs are great ideas, too. Uh, you know, I just think it makes it easier just to pull those snakes out of there. You're not stressing them out. And like you said, you can just set them down somewhere. They're, they're, they're great. Um and Bill said apparently he ordered a hundred of those uh, six quart uh, <laughs> perch holders in pink, um, and I can't wait to see, can't wait to see them and uh, pictures of them with the snakes on them. Um, but they uh, <laughs> we're going to uh, we're going to kind of sh- uh, shift gears a little bit, and we're going to move to. Uh, the incubation of chondro eggs, and uh, Bill and I had noted there had noticed there had been a, almost uh, an overnight increase in the number of people who wanted to know how to uh, either make their own uh, incubator for chondros or where they should go if they wanted to purchase a uh, professional model. And uh, one of the things Bill and I try to do at the show is we try to have timely discussions on the show in regards to what's going on. Uh, on the internet or online with uh, the Condor community. So we thought this would be appropriate. It's in the summertime. People are kind of in the maintenance phase, and they're thinking about breeding, and maybe their first time breeding, and they want to make sure they're prepared and ready to go, um, and which is a great thing. So, um, you know, I'd say let's, uh, let's get some information out there and, and help as many Condor heads hatch uh, as many Condors as possible this uh, upcoming breeding season. Definitely, definitely. Let's, um, uh, Vita. Let's start with with you. Why don't you tell us? You've obviously uh, had a lot of experience and success uh, hatching out uh, baby chondros. So tell us about your incubator setup, or maybe your past ones. If you've had uh, some a design that didn't work, or want to just kind of give us your history on on the incubator that that you're current currently using. All right, sure. <clears throat> First of all, I would like to mention that uh, I, I I got uh, one of uh, one set of perch holder from David uh, last uh, month. Nice, nice. They, they look they look great, works great. 
I was very, very, very surprised. I never, never, never uh, had any any 3D printer in my head, but it's it's, it's just perfect. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. And uh, about about my incubation. Well, I started uh, I started my breeding uh, in the two seven to eight season, and uh, it was. So uh, I, uh, first I tried first I tried uh, my uh, maternal maternal incubation, uh, but uh, it didn't go well. So and I had to I had to switch I had to switch to to artificial about and a half. So the, my hatch rate was not very good. So okay. I decided I decided I decided to go from serial incubator. So uh, I, I I was looking and uh, I liked I liked. Uh, <coughs> The uh, Greg Stevens uh, uh, model uh, uh, cooler water. So uh, okay. this, this is the this is the this is the incubator type I built and I am still using. Yes, so may make some some modifications so it's now now a little bit more consistent and uh, yeah less. Uh, so it's my it's maintenance free and in fact so I I need it because I'm sometimes days for days out of there out of home for work so I just need I just don't need a, a whipping lid or something like that so this works for me great and uh, yeah I still I still working on I still I still working on the cooler butter. So can you describe Very a little good. bit about? Uh, about that design, Vita. I mean, what is that? The, the cooler beta. What does that involve? Yeah, it's 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 basically it's basically made from igloo cooler, uh, okay. car cooler, and uh, I have a, a heat rope. Uh, it's it, it, it's the plastic frame on the bottom. Uh, heat rope, heat rope bracket on it. I had a <coughs> I had a, a vertical vertical air air circulation instead of horizontal. Okay. Uh, uh, I have a um, I have a, a heated heated lid from outside also because so, so there is no condensation from top. I have a um, water 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 on the bottom and the distilled water in the egg boxes. That's it. How many egg boxes can you can you put in it? I, it holds it holds three three egg boxes, uh, six quarts. Regular, okay. nothing special from sterilized from Walmart. Okay, all right, very good. And you've had good success with that. Uh, well, uh, I, I, it, it works for me, so I don't I don't need to change it. Maybe. Right. Good idea. Like I like everyone everyone uses it mostly. Yeah. My my okay, uh my, my days are about forty nine forty nine fifty three at uh, eighty five eighty seven six. Very good. Okay. Yep. And uh, what what are you using? Uh, Herbstat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Ja, Herbst, ja. Okay. Herbst, 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 Uh, well, over the years, I've tried a couple of things. I started off much like uh, what Vita is using with a cooler incubator, um, which worked fine. Uh, had it set up, you know, very similar to the way he has his set up. Um, but I guess maybe about 10 years or so ago, I decided to uh, go ahead and purchase a Habitat Systems incubator, and uh, that's what I've been using for the last, uh, like I said, about 10 years or so. Um, it was, you know, it was pretty expensive, but, you know, it's, it's at this point, it's paid for itself many times over, and um, the what I like about it is that it's got, uh, it's basically a, a you know, rectangular-shaped box with a, a glass door that hinge on the front. So I can kind right. of just walk by and look in the egg boxes and not have to open the incubator to see what's going on. Um, and, you know, that's 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 one of the things that I, that I like about it. Uh, it's just the visibility without having to open it up and, you know, take the lid off and all that. Um, it basically runs like it's got a false pack. So the heating element is contained within the false pack. Uh, it has a fan um, at the top that pulls air in from the incub- you know the main body of the incubator and forces it through the false wall in the back um, uh, okay. where the where the there's flex watt um, and then it there's a vent at the bottom where it it comes out so it's basically like you know a circular motion uh, hot air comes out at the top and it gets pulled in I'm sorry hot air uh, the air that's just passed over the heating element comes out at the bottom, and then it uh, gets sucked back into the top in just a you know cycle. Um, I run it with a just a, a Helix DBS 1000, which uh, you know some people's OCD may be going off right now because it is only uh, adjustable <laughs> in full, <laughs> full, de- full degree increments. Um, but it's worked fine. Uh, I set it at 88 degrees and, uh, like you mentioned before, I do use it for multiple species. Um, so, you know, chondros, um, I guess it just depends who you ask. You know, I've always thought the the ideal range was, uh, around 87 to 87.5 and, you know, uh, ball pythons. They want to be just a couple of degrees warmer than that. And the incubator actually has a little bit of a gradient from the bottom to the top. Uh, you sure. would think that, that, that the top would be uh, warmer because, you know, heat, heat rises, but it, it's, it's actually the opposite. Uh, I guess hmm. just because it's coming right off the heating element, the bottom shelves are uh, about, a, there's about a degree to a degree and a half Depending on what time of day you check you check it um, from the bottom shelves to the top shelves. So I uh, generally just throw the chondros on the on the highest shelf, and it's about you know 80, 87, 87 and a half, uh, maybe it gets up to eighty eight sometimes. You know, it's in my snake room, 
so the room is on a separate thermostat and the ambient uh, uh, ambient temperature in the room fluctuates from day to night. You know, I, I do a night drop. Um, during the day, the room runs about 80, you know, low 80s. And at night, uh, if I'm not cycling, so like now in the summertime, it drop, I drop it to, you know, the high 70s. So about a three or four degree difference. And then when I am cycling stuff, I'll drop it down into the low 70s. So it's, you know, more like a 10 degree, 10 degree drop from day to night on the uh, room ambient. Um, and I, I think having the glass door probably uh, helps keep the incubator uh, more stable because it is able to shed heat a little bit faster uh, during the daytime. Um, right. So, you know, since since the room fluctuates, you know, you don't want the incubator to be super super insulated, because um, when the room would heat up, you know, it, it there's the there's the possibility there that it could uh, uh, heat up past whatever you have your set your your temperature set set point at. Um, right. But anyway, I, I've I've been using that uh, for about ten years. Um, I don't run any supplemental moisture pans or anything in the bottom. Uh, everything is contained within the egg box, uh, and the, the main chamber of the incubator is dry. I have tried using pans of water in the bottom, but I just, you know, found that it wasn't really necessary. I did it just because, uh, 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 well... Rico was a big, uh, he, he ran his habitat systems, incubators like that. So I just kind of started off copying him, basically. And then at one point, I decided to just try without it because uh, the egg boxes that I use are pretty, you know, they, they're pretty pretty sealed. Uh, and I didn't really think I was getting much much benefit of uh, running the incubator wet. Um, so I, I, do, I use the uh, restaurant supply boxes. I have them in you know, a bunch of different sizes depending on, you know, what species and how many eggs and all that. Um, I do have some Cambro boxes, but there's another company called Carlisle that makes uh, a very similar product, and I found that the, uh, the, the polycarbonate lids actually fit a little bit tighter on those. So, like, on the Cambro yeah. boxes, they won't... Um, sometimes I've had to like actually tape tape the lid onto the box to keep the humidity in because the tops just don't fit, you know, they don't fit very tightly. Um, so uh, the Carlisle boxes, which basically look uh, identical, um, there are some slight dimensional differences, but I mean like very slight. Uh, the lids fit better on those. So um, I use those. I basically, I use uh, perlite in the bottom. Uh, so hmm. basically what I'll do is I'll, uh, when I'm setting up uh, an egg box, is um, put me, you know, maybe like an inch of perlite in the bottom and then just completely saturate it with water uh, to where it's like, you know, maybe pooling up a little bit on the surface. Um, and then I'll stick a couple layers of egg crate in the bottom and sit the eggs right. on, on top of that. Uh, I have done a few clutches early on with the eggs actually in vermiculite, and uh, that seemed to work fine as well, um, except for, you know, the eggs would kind of, uh, there'd be a lot of fluid in them. Um, 
which mm. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, yeah. But, the, you know, I, I basically stopped doing it that way because I got, you know, it's like why do I want to have to deal with, you know, mixing the right proportions over Nicolite and water. So now I just soak it, put the egg crate in there, and, you know, don't have to worry about it. Uh, all the all the perlites, basically the no substrate method. The only uh, thing the perlite does is just keep the water from sloshing around when I'm moving the egg boxes around in the incubator. Um, so I do all ball pythons, green trees. I've done blood pythons like that. Uh, all all in the same incubator, um, and it, it you know it works. It's worked great for me. Marshall, um, on your Condorlicious website, which I'm not sure if it's uh, still up anymore, but you had a great photo of uh, condors hatching in your egg box, and they were on vermiculite, and they were in your cultivator. And um, that photo I stared at for a very long time and many times uh, during my first clutch of condors because I'd always been a vermiculite person until my first clutch of chondros and I went with no substrate and um, I was always on the fence. Should I be doing vermiculite? Should I be doing um, no substrate? And I kind of almost through the, in, the entire incubation process of my first clutch um, when the eggs started to dent, which is something that had never happened when I had uh, eggs on vermiculite, I f kind of freaked out and uh, I mixed up vermiculite and I moved my eggs over from the <laughs> no substrate to the vermiculite and let them finish out that way. Um, but, you know, I just felt that ease just seeing your website with these uh, chondro heads poking out of these eggs in vermiculite. Um, and I, I don't even know if you saw that photograph, but it was a great photograph. And I love it. And uh, I just I just want to give that a uh, shout out to you for that, and and oh, we could okay. still, if that's still available, that would be. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure it would help some people. Um, it definitely helps yeah, me. Um, I'm sure I've got the photo somewhere. I, I don't I don't I let my uh, my website uh, kind of go to the wayside just because um, you know I, I'm not a I'm not a, a computer guy by any 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 stretch and. You know, time for me is limited between family and other interests, and uh, it just ended up never getting updated. So now that uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram and everything is so easy to do just with your phone, um, I've pretty much gone strictly to to those you know those those platforms. I don't even have a website anymore. Uh, just because I figure that it's better to, you know, not have one than have one that's not updated, you know, haven't been updated in five years. Um, right. But I, I'm sure I'm sure I do still have the picture. And like I said, uh, I, I patched, you know, the first couple of years. I that's that's how I did it. Um, in in vermiculite, uh, eggs, you know, in the vermiculite. And like I said, the only reason why I don't do it that way anymore is is just I like the simplicity of just not having to worry about mixing it. Not that it's hard. Not that you know you can't uh, you can't do it and get a feel for it and figure it out and all that. But now I just uh, uh, yeah 
put a cup or cover two of, of perlite. I use perlite because it's a little bit, it's almost like uh, gravel compared to to vermiculite. The perlite is, is, right. is a stiffer material, so it tends to hold the egg crate up better. It doesn't let the egg crate kind of sink down into it. Um, but, you know, like I said, now I just throw a, cu- a cup or two of perlite in the bottom, saturate it with water, throw the egg crate on there, and, and I'm done. Uh, that was the main reason for switching, but it is totally possible to do it uh, to do it if you wanted to put them in substrate. Um, you know, you can have success that way as well. There's there's so many ways to do it. You know, I think what that's the most important thing is just to uh, experiment, try different things, um, and you know, figure out what works the best in, in your system, in your part of the country, in your incubator you know, in your snake room, um, there's, there's so many different factors at play uh, that, you know, it's it's really different for everybody. Um, so I, yeah, that's, I, I got to where I am strictly strictly by experimentation and, you know, trial and error. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And it's, it's the same way, you know, when you talk about breeding reptiles, you know, you can't, I can't talk to somebody, you know, in the Northeast, and necessarily go by the formula that works well for them. And Marshall, you and I have talked right. a lot about because we live in similar uh, climate areas that, um, you know, again, it's so much of it is just, you have to learn by your own trial and error and you can garner a lot of information from other people. But the bottom line is you just, you just have to do it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. David, I think you had a question for Marshall. Yeah, hey Marshall, I was curious. Um, you know, whenever I've seen photographs of, of snakes doing maternal incubation, uh, it seems as though the the eggs are uh, a lot more dented in and, and not as plump uh, as when uh, people do either, I guess, invermiculate or the no substrate method. Did Did you mm-hmm. notice that there was any difference in the hatch rate when you had them invermiculate? Like I think you mentioned that they they seemed really plump. Versus, um, you know, if they, um, you know, do you think it's better to, to have them that way or, or should, or are we plumping them up too much? I guess is my question. I mean, that was, that was my fear uh, because like you said, when you do see them hatching maternally, they're always, you know, by the end of the incubation period, they always look so, so withered, you know, withered and dented. Um, but no, I really didn't notice any, uh, any change to speak of. I mean, I've always, uh, for the most part, any any egg that lasts, you know, past the first two weeks, uh, there's like a 99% chance that it's going to hatch. Um, so I really did not see any, any uh, noticeable increase or decrease in the hatch rate based on the method. I mean, uh, any good egg... That, that, that makes it makes it past the first few weeks. In my experience, is is a really good chance that it's going to go go the distance. Oh, okay. David, um, I will, I will add you... that my. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Marshall. Go ahead, Marshall. I was just going to say I will add that my record keeping uh, leaves much to be desired. So that's just <laughs> basically going 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 by memory. So. <laughs> David, what um, what were you planning on 
doing incubation wise if you're uh, successful and and produce some eggs this year? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I'm, I'm still pondering which direction I want to go. Um, it was either going to be uh, a coolabator type uh, scenario where I build it myself, uh, but I think I, I'm leaning more towards something like a, a nature spirit type incubator um, that you know I would just have to make a few modifications to uh, in order to hatch some some animals potentially. Um, and uh, I was curious to hear what uh, you and, and Buddy do as well, um, just to, to see where everybody's at and what they're using. Uh, it certainly helps me decide on which direction I'm going to go in. Buddy, why don't you why don't you go ahead? Sure. Um, for chondros, I've done coolabators, and I've done I, my current system is a con- converted wine cooler. Um, the coolabator worked very well. Um, had a great hatch rate out of it. Um, the problem that Marshall had kind of said before is if if you like to look at your chondro eggs, um, you have to open up the, the cooler and kind of dump all your heat and humidity. Uh, so I, I kind of moved away from that, and, and someone gave me a old wine cooler, and I converted it. And uh, actually Greg Stevens and, and Rico kind of you know, gave me the – set me on the right track for for those and the coolabator is uh you know very similar to uh, what Marshall's design is for his uh his incubator it's a false wall with a uh, heat rope behind the false wall I've got a fan that uh pulls in air at the top of the incubator and blows the air over the heating coils and then the air returns out over a, a water pan at the bottom um, and it circulates. I've, I've got a fan that circulates very quickly, so I have maybe two tenths of a degree or three tenths of a degree of of variance from the bottom to the top of the incubator. And I kind of think that's just because the heating element itself is shielded by a false wall, and that the volume that, that the fan is putting out keeps any any hot spots from developing. And uh, what about the what about your boxes, substrate and all that? Um, uh, I've used uh, initially. I used I had these like they were kind of six. I don't even know if they're what size they are, but they were these Phillips polycarbonate boxes that were available um, kind of to everyone in the in the 90s, and um, so they were polycarbonate. And I w- I did no substrate for the very first time with Converse, first time I ever did it. Um, Tim Morris kind of walked me through the whole process, and um, but I had very little confidence in it based on what Tim was telling me his experience had been. Um, so I kind of freaked out when the eggs started denting in. I thought they were going to desiccate, so I put them on vermiculite. And that first clutch actually, <laughs> I had 100% hatch, um, and I've used regular six quart shoe boxes, uh, but right now I kind of use something similar. I think I used the Carlisle boxes. Um, like Marshall used, uh, this, they're clear, so I can just look in the incubator. Yeah. I can just briefly glance in and see what's going on. Um, but one of the things I noticed with my boxes was that they didn't have a good seal, which I think Marshall had, met, had mentioned. Um, one of the ways I kind of was able to control that was I just took some uh, weather sealing that you would get to put around a, a door, and I lined the uh, the the lid of the box with the weather seal and just close it up and it worked perfectly. So that's, that's kind of what I use. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
I don't think, you know, I've got to, you know, I, I've seen people use many different things for the boxes. Um, so I, th I think as long as everything's up in your incubator, it doesn't really matter too much about the boxes. Marshall, I think you want to do, uh, say something about the cooler baiter. Yeah, just, you know, one thing to keep in mind if anyone is planning on trying to, uh, to, to build one or use one is that one of the things that I didn't like about them was like Buddy just said, uh, I kind of touched on it, but um, when you do open it up to check on things, you know, mine, when you would when you would close it, and maybe there's a workaround for this, but uh, the way I had mine set up, every time you opened it up, when you, when you, after you were done and you close it, close everything back up again, the, I had a problem with the temperature kind of spiking up past the set point. Um, so I would have to, like, sit, kind of sit there and watch it. And it's almost like, the you know, once the uh, – once the you had reached set point there was so there was too much heat in the in the cooler already and it just kept even if even though the thermostat shut off it was you know kind of too late so you'd have to sit there and kind of watch it and then open it up and fan you know fan it out let some heat out uh, um, kind of just watch it till it reached uh, equilibrium again um, yeah so that's a okay. that's that's one of the drawbacks. Um, and certainly not something that you can't overcome. It's just something to be aware of if you're uh, going to try to try to build one. And you think that's a function of really just its size because it's so because it's small, like compared to a you know a larger uh, incubator that has the capacity to buffer that temperature. It, it could be that, or it also could be the fact that it's so so well insulated. Um, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I, that's just a guess, but uh, uh, you know, the heat just gets trapped in there and then can't get out. Very good. Um, and I've tried, you know, I've tried different sizes too. I've used the smaller ones, larger ones, and I have you know the same problem. Uh, with with any of them, um, so I don't think that it's got so much to do uh, with the size, um, but uh, but you know who knows. Yeah, we. Uh, I know, uh, buddy wanted to ask if uh, Vita, have you have you noticed that that problem with the yeah. temperature spike? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't have, I don't have this experience because perhaps uh, I use plates. That uh, so, so when I when I uh, when I open the, uh, the incubator for the control, I don't open I don't open late, and it's it's clear because there is not there is no condensation, so I I can make I can make quick check on the on the X uh, through late and through 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 uh, through egg box from from the up, so there is there is uh, no uh, no no temp change. Uh, Maybe maybe one tenth or two tenths maximally. Wow. So there is not there is, so I can I can I can make it I can make it quite stable. So um, awesome. if if anything if anything happens and I really need to I really need to or to to move to remove remove the lid and uh, open open the lid. So my 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 normal temp takes about 
don't know, maybe one uh, 30 seconds, one minute maximally, no more. So it's quite, it, it, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I really, I really don't, uh, I really don't want, don't want uh, to touch, touch uh, and open the setup if, unless number, unless necessary. Okay. So that's very good. Yeah. So that's that's uh, mm, that maybe 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 advantage for for the core for for the cabinet cabinet types, but uh, but this will work for me. So this this works. Yeah, Marshall, uh, you wanted to bring up a point about probe placement. So why don't you hit on that um, hit on that real quick? Because there's obviously there's two places you can place probe uh, inside the main uh, chamber of the egg box or just inside the incubator itself. Um, I think I know what all you guys do, but Marshall, why don't you why don't you take it through us take us through it? Yeah, it's just something that I realized uh, a second ago that none of us really talked about when we were going through our setup. Um, I've done it both ways, um, and now I just I run it in the main run it in the main chamber. So my the probe is set about uh, uh, six inches in front of the fan that draws air uh, into the into the false back. Um, other people run there... it at the. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, is there is there anybody uh, here in the conversation that does not do that, or in other words, they put the temperature probe inside an egg box? I do that now, yeah. but I will tell you my first few condor clutches that were in my coolerbator, I actually put the probe in the egg box, um, and it, it worked out okay, and uh Marshall commented about the temperature spike in the coolerbator, and I had noticed that as well, and that was a, a big concern of mine. And um, talking to my wife, who had done a lot of uh, bird egg incubation when she was doing her uh, toxicology research, um, she had said that she had just commented, maybe I need to put a fan in the cooler. So I actually had the fan hooked up with the thermostat so that when I opened the incubator and the temps dropped a little bit, the fan would kick on with the the heating element and the fan circulated the air really quickly and that actually would bring the temps up faster and prevent it uh, a major overspike. I would still maybe get like a tenth or two of a degree inside the egg box above what I wanted it to be, but before that, before I put the fan in there, I would see a degree or two above, and then it would, you know, like Marshall said, it's so well insulated that the temps didn't drop back down uh, very quickly. They kind of stayed there, so I'm glad I experimented and uh, also asked my wife if uh, maybe she had a solution <laughs> for me, but um, so I did that initially, and then um, you know, talking a lot with Greg Stevens, he had he had just, you know, pointed out the obvious that, you know, hey, your, you know, your your incubator has to heat up higher than your than your uh, than your egg box in order to get your egg box at the temperature, and then by the time that happens, your temp, you know, your, the main chamber is hotter than your your egg box, and if you don't have a way to cool that down, it's it, it can lead to problems. So, so when I built my uh, my next incubator, I actually did the same thing, Mark. Marshall had talked about is I've got the I have the probe placed in front of the in front of the fan at the top of the incubator. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty much, I think it would be a rare exception. I think everybody pretty much keeps that temperature probe um, inside the incubator and not, not inside uh, the individual egg boxes. And uh, I, I know Marshall, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, incubating multiple species in the same incubator, and I certainly do that, and I, I know you do that. And um, even within the same species, even if you're just incubating chondro eggs, um, you know, those, those egg boxes go through quite a dynamic change throughout the 50 days that they're incubating, especially towards the end. And, you know, they're letting off, a, you know, a, a lot more heat at the end. And if you had, uh, you know, a temperature uh, a probe in the egg box and you had other egg boxes in the same incubator, that would get quite tricky, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think it's, I think everybody's pretty much on the same page that the consensus is that you put that temperature probe inside the incubator and then just let the egg boxes do their thing throughout their cycle. And yeah, uh, I as agree. far as, as far as what I use, it's very similar to, uh, to Buddy's setup. I mean, I use, uh, and I've had this incubator for 15 years, um, the same incubator. I've redone the, in, the uh, heating elements a couple times and changed the thermostat out. But it's a converted uh, Snapple, you know, cooler with the glass front. I like to be able to see my egg boxes. And um, I've got a heating element. It's actually heat rope uh, that's in a false back in, in the back of the unit. Uh, I utilize a fan. My fan's actually on the floor. And uh, I've got a, a pretty large pan of water on the floor of the incubator, and that fan blows directly on that water. Uh, and I find that it does help to increase the ambient humidity in my incubator uh, a little bit uh, because I've used different kind of boxes in there, and some of them that don't seal uh, super tightly, uh, that they could get a little dry if I didn't increase the ambient humidity of the incubator. So I run a, a water pan in there and it may help stabilize, the, you know, the temperatures throughout. Uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that, but uh, I use the same Carlisle boxes. Uh, they're great. They're very tight. That lid sits, sits in there. Um, I do put uh, a few holes. I use a soldering iron. And I put some holes in those boxes and then I put plastic tape over the holes and, um, Towards the end, when the box is getting really humid, I'll take that tape off and, and give a little extra ventilation when I see a lot of moisture begin to accumulate on the top of the, the egg box. Um, I'll just rip that uh, plastic tape off, and then and, and I'm able to provide some ventilation to the egg boxes towards the end of the, the cycle. Um, but I, I use the same thing. I, I do substrate less, just water that's suspended on the plastic diffusion grates. I just use small little pieces of PVC pipe to hold those grates and about half an inch of water on the bottom. And then I'll use, um, there's some uh, mesh uh, shelf, uh, yeah, it's just sh uh, shelf covering. I, I think that's what it's called, you know, that you put on shelf liner. There's some uh, mesh one that I'll just cut up and I'll lay over the grate to just make sure that water doesn't splash up on the eggs um, from underneath because... Unlike Marshall, we're using that the perlite. It's probably pretty, it's pretty thick, 
uh, suspension with just water in there, it, it can splash pretty easily uh, up onto the eggs if you're not careful. Right. Yeah. So that, that's my system. And I use it for, I've been incubating uh, royal and carpet pythons that way for 10 years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then when I, when I uh, started producing chondros a few years ago, it was just naturally just did it exactly the way I incubated uh, carpet and, and the royals. So it's worked well. Very good. David, did you have a question? I did, yeah. I was curious. Bill just touched on it a little bit. I, I wanted to see what you guys do in terms of ventilation on the egg boxes, and more specifically, um, when you start getting towards the end of the incubation cycle, um, you know, Bill mentioned he removes tape from the ventilation holes to give a little more ventilation, but is there anything else that you guys do? Do you wipe down, like, the lid or, or anything like that? Well, I do... Uh... Well, first, uh, when they start heating, the, the lid of the boxes starts to condensate. So this is the this is the indication something is necessary to do. So I just uh, I just uh, put uh, two sticks bit, uh, below the below the uh, Xbox lid. That's it. Hmm. Okay. That's very good. I hadn't thought of that. Usually, That's a good usually, idea. Usually, usually about 37 days. Okay. What about you, Marshall? Do you do anything towards the end for for ventilation of nah. the box? Or? Nah, my, my boxes are sealed. They don't have any holes in them. Um, okay. Not really. The only, the only uh, <clears throat> that being said, I do try to open them up like you know I'll take the box out of the out of the incubator like you know every week or two just kind of stick my nose in there make sure nothing nothing stinks um yeah you know fan fan fresh air into the box yep. and uh then just yeah. stick them back yep. in but but aside from that um basically if the if enough water collects on the lid that it looks like you know Drops are inevitable. I'll carefully take the lid off and wipe it down. Um, but right. aside from that, aside from that, they're just they're totally sealed. Okay. How about you, buddy? Um, I, Bill, I do the same thing you do. I have uh, four holes that I solder into the egg boxes, and I keep the three of the four pretty much. I keep them taped up, and the last. Ten days or a week, I, I peel off, peel the tape off the other, the other uh, three holes, so they they get some ventilation in there. Um, as far as wiping the the egg box, I will say that um, the uh, actually I'll, I'll come back to that comment, um, and okay. we'll uh, I'll revisit that. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just looking at our outline and, um, you know, buddy, you wanted to touch, we touched a little bit about, you know, whether to use a water pan, whether or not to fans, um, who uses a backup generator? I, I do. I've got one that runs, uh, runs my whole, it'll run my whole house. Um, and it's, wow. it's got a, uh, uh, transfer switch 
um, that'll switch it automatically if uh, you know, like you don't have to you don't have to do anything. As soon as the power goes out, it just it flips on and the generator turns on. And uh, you know, we've got a, we get a lot of pretty severe weather here in Birmingham. Right. Um, yeah. Hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, just like really bad thunderstorms that'll you know knock a few trees down in the neighborhood. And uh, we've been at times over the years we've been uh, without power for up to uh, you know I think the longest time uh, was maybe three or four days, uh, which you know uh, wow. Dep- depending on what's going on, that was that was after sure. a, a major hurricane, but. Um, so no, that could uh, yeah, that could decimate uh, that could decimate your you know your entire year's work. Uh, you know, if you've got eggs in an incubator for sure, and your animals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it happened in the winter time, it could have a bad effect on the animals too. We do get uh, we get ice storms here, so that's one of the first things I did when uh, when I moved in or moved to Alabama was uh, uh, go ahead and get the the generator installed so it's it's been it's been great definitely uh uh been put to use so yeah Yeah. i've got a generator uh, yeah i have i have i have a generator as a as a as a backup too so the same same reason for like marshall but luckily it was not necessary yet yeah same with me I have a backup generator as well, but fortunately, I, I, I haven't had to use it. Buddy, how about thing. you? <laughs> um, sorry about that, guys. Um, uh, my wife was my uh, wife, Jim. my son, and a dog, and all were all walking in, coming through the, the the area that I'm in, and so I had to go silent for a minute so he didn't hear all that ruckus. But uh, I want to go back. I want to revisit real quick, wiping down the. The boxes. Oh, um, and I appreciate you guys. Oh, okay. Continuous, continuing the, continuing the conversation <laughs> seamlessly um, for me. But they, uh, so I was a egg box wiping fool when I had a coolivator. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to go to a, uh, a different setup was because of that. And then when I did that, um, once again, you know, Tim Mars was up here one day, and we were just chatting and. I was talking about condensation, and of course, you know, Tim kind of is like, you know, smacks you in the forehead and says, you know, you can do this. You don't have to worry about wiping down egg boxes ever again. And his uh, suggestion was just set the egg boxes up at a at a like a 45 degree angle, so that condi- condensation forms and uh, it gently rolls away from the eggs back down into the reservoir and the water reservoir on the bottom of the egg box. So that's what I do, and I've never had to wipe another egg box lid sense. So thank you, Tim, for that tip. Um, I have two backup systems, actually. I have a I have a generator, but it doesn't kick on automatically. I've got, uh, you know, I have to, you know, I've got an outside plug. And I've got a, uh, a generator panel in the house, so I, I can just go ahead and start the generator up and put the switch and the whole house is ready to go. Um, but if I'm, what I like about uh, my second backup system is that I don't have to rush out to turn on the generator because I lose power here a lot if I have eggs in the incubator. And I have a battery backup system, which mm-hmm. is a uh, uh, same thing you'd use on a computer yeah. system. Computer, um, yeah, yep, yep, exactly. And I get about I can get a six-hour runtime out of it. Um, 
So, you know, if the power goes off early in the morning, I can roll back over and sleep for a couple hours and before I've got to wake up and get the generator on. So I use that. Um, ironically, I have I use a, a Helix system like Marshall, but I use the old Helix Basic systems, which have these little, uh, what I like about them, and Marshall kind of talked about that a little bit, is that they have these little brass screws, so you can infinitely adjust these Helix Basic systems or whatever you want it to be. Um, and they don't make them anymore. They're hard to find. Uh, Rob, Robert Rowell has like 30 or 40 of them he's dumping. So if you're looking for one, I would contact him and get one. I bought one from him to have as a backup because I've been using the same one for uh, since like 98 or 99. Um, anyway, the uh, when I first bought my first UBS, I just bought a, a regular one. And um, with my Helix, it worked fine. It worked fine. I didn't have any problems. And then um, people were surprised that it actually worked because it wasn't a true sine wave battery backup. And um, at some time, a year or two after I bought this backup, I noticed that my probe, well, my Helix had a little nick in the wire. So I contacted Helix and I sent it back to them and they replaced everything for me. But when it came back and I ran everything again, it didn't work. Um, and it actually overheated, so it would just turn on and wouldn't control the temperature. When I talked to the guys at Helix, they had rewritten some codes, um, reprogrammed the computer and the, some of the stuff in there and replaced it. So I actually had to go buy, at this point, a, a true sine wave UBS backup, which I did do. And it, it works really well if, if if you want that little extra backup. Um, if you can't, If you're not home all the time, um, you know, which is, or if you don't have a whole house generator, which automatically kicks in, like, like I don't have, I might use those for backup. Yeah, nice. I've I've used those as well in the past. Before I got my generator, in fact, I, I was using one of those on my incubator. Nice piece of mine. There's a there's another piece of equipment um, that I have, and I know Marshall knows about this because we talked about it a few years ago. Um, I've got a device in my room called a Sensophone. Have you guys ever heard of that or know what that is? No. No. I, look, I know because you've told me. Yeah, the Sensophone is a it's a great piece of equipment. I got mine on eBay for I think about a hundred bucks. You can buy them used, and it's a panel and it hooks into your phone line. Um, and mine has four different temperature probes. And I just use two. I use one for my ambient room temperature, and then I run a, a probe and I put it in my incubator. And you can set up various temperature parameters, like my room parameters. If if it if the room drops below 74 degrees or gets above 84 degrees, it calls me on my cell phone and it tells me. Oh, cool. That's cool. That's nice. And same with same with my incubator. If if my incubator temperature drops you know, a couple of degrees in either direction. Um, yeah, then it just calls me and lets me know. So that's, again, it's peace of mind. That has saved me. Uh, I have not had to use my generator uh, for a prolonged period, but the the, uh, the Sensophone has changed me, uh, has saved me in an incubator issue a few years ago. So oh, very nice. the yeah. only, the right. only, the yeah. only downside about it is you do have to have a landline um, for the unit that I have. They have some non-landline units, but they're 
several hundred dollars, um, mm-hmm. you know, to do like a do like a mobile unit. But if you've got access to a landline, it may be it may be worth uh, worth getting one. Is that the battery charge or? Uh, yes, or yes, it's, uh, it runs. Uh, you plug it in, but it has a backup nine volt battery. Okay, so if it's power out, so it will tell you to. That's great. Yes, if so, obviously if the power goes out, it can it still works. Mm-hmm. Cool. What you got, buddy? Yeah, I was curious. Does uh, I I've run a I do run a small aquarium pump, and uh, I run it actually over the heating coils uh, to the air to the you know, nice 72 degree temperature in my snake area when it gets pumped into the aquarium pump goes into my incubator um, and it goes over the the heating coils. I was wondering, does anybody else put fresh air into their incubator other than I know Marshall said he opens his, his incubator up routinely, but they want force any type of fresh air into it? I do not. Uh, no, I, I don't either. No. Okay. No, no, so no, you're one of those. Yeah, one of those things that certainly isn't isn't going to hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like Marshall. I open my egg boxes uh, once a week. You know, it seems like every every Saturday, it just I open up. Even though I can see into the egg box, I open it anyway. Just uh, make sure I can see every egg completely, and also you know maybe just a little air rotation in there. Good deal. All right. What else you got, buddy? Let's um we're getting pretty close to the end of the show time. We're fifteen minutes away um from when we'll lose our live feed. Uh we've got recorded time after that. Um but the live listening audience uh we're gonna lose in about fifteen minutes. So why don't we continue on? Just a few other uh, topics to cover. Um, I think, buddy, you had on the outline. Uh, what are your guys' average days to hatch chondro eggs? Is it pretty consistent? Does it vary a lot? With Vita, how, how about you? What, what would you say? Uh, well, uh, what do you mean? Again, please. Say that again. Can you, can you say again, please? Uh, yes, as far as uh, eggs, how long does it take typically for your eggs to hatch? Uh, usually 49 to 53. Some females longer, some females shorter. And do you okay. pip at any any time after if it goes past 50 to 53 I do, days? I do. Pip? Yeah, I I do I do. After after few after few people themselves, or, or if I see some scratches. Okay. Okay. So that's um, yeah. yeah. Marshall, how about you? Uh, I would say that uh, average is probably fifty days. Um, I do get some at forty nine. Uh, you know. I've had them go 52, 53 days before. Uh, in general, I try my best to avoid 
manually tipping. Um, you know, I'm not exactly. perfect. I do, I do, I do do it sometimes. Uh, but are you talking uh, about the entire, I, the entire clutch, um, Marshall? I mean, you you don't want to tip anything. I try not to, but you know, if an egg is uh, say like maybe two days past, um, yeah. I'll I'll tip it just to see if it's still alive mainly, um, and okay. then you know on the on the ball python stuff if it's just like some some crazy clutch that I've been waiting on I don't have the patience to wait <laughs> another day or two I may I may cut those but I, I try to avoid try to avoid doing that. Okay. And buddy, what about you? Um, yeah, I, I get right around day fifty fifty one. And I wait. I try to do like, like Vita. I try to, uh, and I have to, you know wait for two or three to pip, and then I try. To, I do the remainder of the clutch. How long would you wait, um, buddy? Let's. I mean, how long would you go before you would you go? If nobody pipped at fifty-five days, would you pip an egg? I would. I just had a had a clutch. Crash, complete clutch crash. It was the first time it's ever happened to any any python breeding I've ever done a couple of years ago. And um, the you know it was one of those ones where every two or three days you lose an egg. And I wound up with like four or five eggs, and they were at day 54. And you know it's three days over what I normally see. So I manually pipped them, and they were they were all had died earlier just based on what they look like as far as their stage of uh, development. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I would definitely. If, you know, I would say probably, you know, if I felt really confident about a clutch, um, I would probably pivot a little bit sooner. I'd probably maybe do like 53. But this clutch I did, did, just didn't have much confidence in. I kind of, my gut was telling me, Nothing's going to hatch out of these anyway, so let's kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah. And by day 54, they were kind of like wet, and you know, so I kind of they kind of had that bad smell. So I already knew I knew what the end result was going to be, so I just went and cut them, and, you know, took some pictures and tried to figure out why. But yeah. What about you, Bill? Um, pretty much, kind of what you do. I'll, I'll wait for the first one or two to pip, and then I I'll pip the rest. I mean, I just I just have always done that. I do that with you know, with, with the balls, with the carpets. And, and I mean, it just doesn't, it makes, it just makes sense to me that to have that one chance that an animal is not going to, is not going to get out. And at least if you have one or two pip, then, you know, you haven't made a mistake in counting your days or, you know, your, your temperatures haven't been real wacky and it needs another, you know, few days to incubate. So once I right. see one or two pip, then I'll, I'm going to pip the rest of the clutch. The only the only thing that I've that I've found with that is that uh, it's, sometimes it seems like uh, I've had uh, neonates come out earlier than they than they you know would have otherwise yeah. without fully yeah. absorbing their yolk. Yeah, uh, that's the that. main reason why yeah. I, yeah. I I try to avoid doing it. Um, seems like that happens less if they just you know you just leave them be. Um, yeah, that's. I've seen that too, or the fact you talked about some of the eggs will be really, really wet when you cut into it, like a lot of you know yolk, and you go, "Wow, I wonder if it yeah. needed another day or two for that for that yolk to dry up." Right. Yep. 
We, um, Vita, I think you were saying earlier in the show, I guess this is kind of, we'll kind of come full circle circle here, but you, you initially tried maternal incubation and didn't have much success with that. Yes, I did. It was my first try. And, uh, yeah, some of the eggs uh, turned back, so I just need to pull, I just need to pull similar out, so, and, and, uh, uh, continue continue artificial incubation and of course it was about day thirty or something like that so and it was it was not good so it's it's the it's the, it's the worst combination you know it's changing 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 something something uh, in between of incubation so I just right uh, so maybe maybe now I should I should just uh, just just let her be and uh, perhaps. Some of the some of the eggs uh, would survive, maybe more than if I than when I changed. But who knows? Yeah. So, did you just no, try I, that? No. Did you just try that yeah. one time, Fida? One time? Yeah, yeah, just one time, just one time, and then the next year, next year I I, I had the incubation uh, incubator ready, and uh, everything was much better. Yeah, it was it was nice learning experience because because uh, because maternal behavior of female is very interesting. But yeah, it's it's uh, if 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 it, if it works, it's it's great. But uh, it didn't work for me. Okay. How about you, Marshall? I I have never uh, never done it. Never tried it. Yeah, buddy. I I, I think always, I know the answer. Uh, I'm sorry. Ahead, yeah, I was gonna say I've always just kind of like enjoyed the, the, you know, doing it myself, and, and just <laughs> getting the females uh, back feeding again quicker. Right. Um, you know, I just other than the cool factor uh, of watching it, I don't. Yeah. The benefits don't seem to be there, in my opinion, for for doing it. Yeah. And buddy, same for you, right? Never. I'm following Marshall on this. I'm blaming him. Um, I'm, I'm the same way. I've never, I've never done it. Um, I, I will say this, and I know we're getting close to going uh, recording, but we'll be fine. But I, I will say this: uh, it's kind of funny how you know the whole Python boom in the early '90s. People don't understand why that happened, and why that happened was because people had put hard work into figuring figuring how to actually incubate, artificially incubate uh, python eggs. Um, you know that that's what led to the first big breeder boom of, of the 90s with pythons. Was we, had, you know, people had put work in and figuring out, hey, you can artificially incubate these eggs and they'll hatch, and you don't have to worry about artificial incubation, and it. it resulted in consistent hatching of a lot of species of pythons, which, uh, you know, we actually see the benefit of today. Um, but it's kind of funny how, you know, we've went, we've went through that process where we've figured out how to do it artificially. We're really good at it. We're, and then people kind of like jump back and they're like, oh, well, you know, you got to do, you got to do maternal. But And the thing that makes me not want to do maternal is I was around when people were consistently <laughs> failing with maternal. Um, and I, I know where we weren't before. This kind of reminds me of uh, 
my niece, um, she was at my house. She's, she turns 21 this week, so happy birthday to her. But she was at my house, and uh, she was looking through records, old records of mine. And she's like, can I borrow these and listen to them? I'm like, why would you want to listen to records? And she's like, oh, that's that that she's like, it's so, you know, it's it's a better experience uh, than listening to it digitally. I'm like, okay. I'm like, these, you know, these have been sitting here because I grew up in the age when, you know, this stuff was being phased out, and there were there was, you know, I couldn't wait to get this stuff on CDs because it was digital and and or digitally remastered. And and she's like, oh, you know, so it's just kind of funny how that kind of you know, see the same thing with the artificial maternal incubation thing again. It's, it's it's returned. You know, people want to do it because they want that experience, but I, I don't want that experience. So that's yeah. all I have to say. Yeah, uh, I think we're all in agreement, at least on this uh, very small sample of this, the panel tonight. Uh, I have, yeah, no no interest. I'd, I'd much rather just think I've got a better chance of having uh, more healthy babies if. If we do it artificially, so that's what I do. You know, Bill, our CEO Eric Burke is uh, not going to be happy. <laughs> I know he's not. I know he's not. But he's just going to have to live with it. He'll forgive us. Yes. Well, um, that's really the end end of the scheduled uh, in the programming tonight. I know we just got a couple of minutes left. Um, maybe we'll take a minute to see if any of the listeners want to want to contact any of our guests. Vita, um, if somebody wants to contact you uh, about an animal or about something in your collection, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, maybe best best is the. Mm, MVF uh, Messenger, Messenger or or Facebook. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I know you can be found easily either place. And yeah. Marshall, how about you? Uh probably Facebook Messenger. Um, uh, it's just under my name, or uh, I did, you know, I do have a, a, a reptile page on Facebook as well. It's Conjurlicious Reptiles. Uh, you can just search Facebook, and uh, that's where I post almost all of my snake stuff uh, so that my non-herper friends don't get bombarded with uh, with snake photos. Um, and then, so you can contact me through that site and also uh, Instagram. Uh, my Instagram uh, handle is just Marshall M. Mendez. All right. Look at you go. <laughs> David? Yeah, just like those guys, um, I'm available on the MBF forum, uh, but it's probably easier to get a hold of me on Facebook most of the time. Um, uh, you know, just look up my name, or you can, again, go to S3D, especially Enclosure Designs. I have a, a Facebook page dedicated to that stuff. Yeah, I just got on there. That's a neat site. Cool. Very All good. right, buddy, anything, you, anything else for the guests? Other than a huge thank you, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedules to be with us. The listeners certainly will enjoy hearing you more than they enjoy hearing Bill and I. So thank you. Thank you all for having me. It was great. Enjoyed it. 
Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was fun. All right, guys. Have a good week. All right. Thanks, you too. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Okay, Bill, that was a very good show. Yeah, it was a great show. I knew it would be. Those guys uh, bring a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and um, they're all well-spoken. And so I never had any doubt it was not going to be a good show. Absolutely. I'm curious to see once David Brown starts tinkering with his incubator, what he's going to create for us. I know. Um, I know. What do you think? Any, Any thoughts on that maybe? No, but I was thinking about the same kind of things. Um, although he's, you know, he's incubated, he's incubated other species, hasn't he? I, b- I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he has. Um, so I don't know if he's going to put together a dedicated incubator just for the chondros if he produces some this year. I guess, I guess that's what he's what he's going to do. And uh, yeah, I'd really like to see what he ends up setting up. Yeah, me too. He's, you know, I, th- I think it's great. Everyone has these, you know, he has these ideas, and he's actually able to design it, follow through, make it, and get it out to everyone. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he's the cla- he's the, just the classical guy who can see something, and he goes, "I know a way to make that better." You know, I know how I can make that better, and um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with these Cambro tubs and lids. Um, you know, we've talked about this before. My, my big passion, one of the things that really drives me and, and gives me a lot of fulfillment is to see somebody with their first chondro, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, these people, uh, you know, 99% of them, they've kept other stuff before they want to get a chondro. They're, they're nervous about it. And I can relate to it because that was me just a few years ago. And, um, right. so I, I want to just be able to make it so easy for them and you know they if they get a small animal or a mid-size a sub-adult you know they don't need to they don't need to buy a, a big you know big pvc or animal plastic cage you know with the radiant heat panel you know i i like to be able to see them to get into an animal and set up for you know relatively cheap but it still be very effective and efficient and and good for the animal and some of dave's david's ideas especially that do-it-yourself uh, kits that he came up with, you know, that just fit the bill. And, uh, Absolutely. so I'm looking forward to see you, seeing what he does with these Cambro, Cambro tubs. Yeah, me too. How's that rack working out for you? It's working out great. Um, did you want to take a minute I, I to love talk it. about that? Well, um, sure. Um, I think I posted up, somebody had act, actually asked on the MVF about keeping, uh, adult animals um, in racks, and you know, I, I'm tw- I'm torn about keeping chondros in racks because one of the reasons you keep them is they're so awesome to look at, and right. you know, in your traditional cages, that's obviously, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd keep every animal that I have uh, in a cage where you can see it. But the racks do provide some. Um, benefit and i think in fact they may even be better for some of the animals because they don't have that you know that big glass plate that you love to look at them but they don't necessarily you know maybe want to have all that exposure 
Um, right. And also the racks are, you know, they're economical. They're really about half, you know, you can ha- house an animal for half the price, at least half the price. Uh, they're easier to clean. And I really like them because I use racks on the bottom and then I stack my cages on top of them because, oh, okay. you know, I don't know about you, but my cages on the very bottom floor that they're hard. You know, I got to get down on my hands and knees. I, you know, right. gotta get down there. You know, you can't see the animal anyway because it's two feet off the ground. Um, so I use usually, you know, a rack and then I stack the cages on top. The racks, the pullout racks are so much easier, you know, like I said, to just manage cleaning them and getting water in them. And, um, and uh, space-wise, they, they take less space. And so I've been using – I actually got my first, my first adult rack three years ago, and I've been keeping uh, – you know, keeping uh, adult males and even a small, a few small females in these Cambro tubs that that you use for your rhinos, your adult rhinos, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I think, I think the dimensions on them they're they're 26 inches long. Uh, what are they? Maybe 18 inches wide and 15 inches high, something like that. That's right. Yep. And, uh, you know, yeah. I run two perches. Uh, across them, and I utilize um, side heat uh, on the back perch. And again, you can set up a thermal gradient on that back perch. Uh, if they don't like, if they don't like that, the warmth back there, then they can move up to the front perch. But uh, I found them, you know, to be very useful. Um, and uh, a, a local guy here named Logan Murray has built uh, the racks for me, and uh, I know he's. He's built racks for several other people here recently. If if you want his contact information, uh, you can get in touch with me, and and I'll give it to him. Uh, obviously, provide. Awesome. Now, are his racks out? Are they made of PVC, Bill, or is he using different material? No, he uses PVC. Uh, it's the thick. You know, I guess it's is it half inch? It's probably half inch PVC, just like animal okay. plastics uh, caging racks. So yeah, it's very thick. It's very sturdy. Um, and uh, I've got one that's three high. I've got uh, a couple other that are two high. And uh, I like the two high. I stack uh, two two highs right next to each other, and then you can put three foot cages on top of them if they fit perfect. Oh, nice. Hmm. Very good. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm looking. Yeah, that goes. Uh, yeah. What did you say? You're what? I'm look, I'm looking, you know, you're always looking for cages and stuff like that, so so I, oh, I might yeah. have to contact him, but that's definitely a a neat design. I like it. Yeah, I like I it too. A, what do you say? Are we wrapping? Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. You got any ideas for uh for next month? Um uh nothing concrete yet. I did okay. uh, I did get a text from Trooper Wash today. Oh, so, did you? Yeah, I did. Do you want to do part two? Maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm going to hope to. I hope to convince him. Maybe we could do that. Um, but I've got, you know, a couple other ideas. Uh, you know, uh, there's a couple of people. Mark Huffman, who's a condor breeder, but he also works in. Uh, he works in measuring devices, uh, so he's familiar with like calibrating. Uh, Hmm. thermostats and that type of stuff. So that could, that could be an interesting topic. Okay. Um, 
and yet we're we're getting we are moving close to the breeding season. So, um, right. you know, we we could maybe do a breeding season roundtable. Uh, yeah, definitely chat need, with people. Definitely need definitely need to do that for sure. All right, my friend, it was a good show. All right, good Bill. talking with you, talking with our guests. Absolutely. All right. Have a good, good night, week. everyone. Talk. Yep. Good night, guys. Good night. Thank you for listening to GTP Keeper Radio. This is Buddy Buscemi, and we are signing off. Thank you.